Let's pray. Jesus, as we think about compassion, as we reflect on your compassion today, as we dig into your word, your scriptures together, Lord, as we reflect on our own experiences, our own lives, the times where we've shown compassion well, the times where maybe we've fallen short, Lord, as we think about our nation today, given the troublesome week that we've witnessed and that we've been through, Lord, we just ask that your favor, that your presence, and that your compassion would be in this place. Uh, Lord, that you would define our church, and that you would define our lives by your love, by your mercy, and by your grace, and that your compassion would triumph in all that we do and in all that we say. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words in my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every single heart gathered in this room would be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus and by the power of God, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is week four in our series called Living Legend. If this is your first time joining us in this series, I'm really glad that you're here. We're going to catch you up as we go through it. And uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at St. John. I am the younger, less experienced, less talented, better looking, and more fun pastor than my colleague over there. Amen. Amen. Uh, so today we're talking about compassion, and my senior, my good friend, my colleague Steve, he shared with us an incredible story about two legends, two legends, Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, and the encounter that he shared is actually seen in the movie 42. Some of you may have seen the movie 42, did fantastic in the box office last weekend, broke a bunch of records, I'm sure it's continuing to do well this week, uh, that experience of Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, two legends in the making of the time, definitely is one of the greatest moments in the history of baseball. Some would even argue probably one of the greatest moments in the history of sports. The question is, why would Pee Wee Reese, why would a guy who had everything to lose and absolutely nothing to gain by befriending Jackie Robinson, why would he go there? Why would he step in? Why would he walk in when it seemed like everyone else was walking out? Why was he willing to engage in friendship, a dangerous friendship, a controversial friendship, a conflicting friendship? Why would he do that? You know, the word compassion itself literally means to suffer with. Why would Pee Wee Reese suffer with Jackie Robinson? In fact, why would any of us? Why is compassion worth it? Why does it matter? You know, those are going to be the things that we want to talk about today as we think about our lives. Because we can look back a few decades and we can look at a man like Pee Wee Reese and we can see the way in which his compassion and his courage literally changed the course of an entire sport. But we can also look back even further in history. And we can look back to the living legend, the one that we've been talking about, the one that we're celebrating, the one, frankly, that I, I want to build my life upon because he is more than a model for good behavior. He's more than a model of exemplary living. He is my deliverer, he is my rock, and he is my savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And because of that, it is worth it for us today to examine this question carefully. Why is compassion worth it? And we're going to look at it through the lens of a really, really interesting experience in the life of Jesus of Nazareth in John chapter 8. So 
Let's just jump in there right away. Go to John chapter 8. If you'd grab the Bible that's right in front of you, if you didn't bring one, it's page 1059 in the Pew Bible that's right in front of you. Or if you like to use version, if you have an iPhone or an iPad or an Android or some other uh, app type phone or device with you, you can go there as well to our live event, STJSTL. This is an incredible account from John chapter 8. And there are about a million and a half things that we could pull out of it. So we're going to do our best to try and do that today. We're going to start here at verse 2. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. When did he do it? At dawn. And some of you think an 8 o'clock service is too early. Okay? At dawn... Okay? At dawn, 915ers. Okay? At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple course. I mean, I thought I got to work early, you know? But at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple course where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Probably a pretty calm setting. You know, maybe not unlike this. You know, calm setting. Jesus is teaching them. He's sharing with them. It's in the morning. Look at verse 3. The teachers of the law. You know, Jewish scholars who were experts in interpreting the law of the Old Testament. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. You know, so you got this scene here. Fairly calm scene. Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden, it would be as if those doors in the back were just busted open. You got a bunch of people coming in. They're kind of handling this woman and maybe even throwing her down right in the middle of where we're all seated. They disrupt what's going on, they're loud, they're annoying, they're frustrating, they're kind of forcing their way into the group. Look at verse 4. And they said to Jesus, teacher, after all that's what he was doing, he was a, a rabbi, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. You know, no introduction, no preface, just boom. This woman was busted, caught in the act of adultery. In the law, remember the teachers of the law are experts in interpreting the law of the Old Testament. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Just put yourself in that spot. Okay, she's guilty. We've got her. We've trapped her. The law says this, you know. Now what do you say? What do you say? Look at verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, the leaders were right in part. The law definitely required punishment. Now, we don't get any sense here that the woman was trying to defend herself, that she was trying to say, no, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. But according to the law, if we look at the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, we would see clearly that under the Mosaic law, under the law of Moses, she should be condemned to death. In fact, if you want to jot this down, Leviticus 20, verse 10, the law says this. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. It's pretty clear. And then the nature of how they were to die was defined in the book of Deuteronomy. Basically, the nature of it would be stoning. They were to be taken out to the city gate where they would publicly, in that arena, in that area, literally be stoned to death. Now, here's the problem. Who came in to the temple courts? It was the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and a woman. A woman. It takes two to tangle, right? So where's the guy? 
Because again, both of them, the guy and the girl, both parties were supposed to be stoned to death. You see what's going on here? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're trying to make a point. They're trying to trick Jesus. Now if we back up from the story a bit, and just think about our lives. We're all in this story somewhere, aren't we? Some of us have felt the burden and the guilt and the shame and the frustration and the fear that comes from being that woman. That person accused, feeling guilty, like everyone's pointing at you, like someone's trying to make a mockery of you. You know, whether it's through a a poor decision of the past or maybe a reality of today. Some of us in here have felt that. We've experienced that. We've kind of felt like the world's against us, like people are pointing fingers at us, like there's nowhere we can go. And quite honestly, though, and unfortunately, even as, you know, Christian people gathered in this room, many of us, we've been the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And man, sometimes we've gotten really good at it. We've grabbed people who are in sin. We've tried to make a point of them. We tried to make a point. We try to make a point. We try to make an example. We say, how am I going to show you so that no one else ever does that again? Or maybe some of us have been both. We've been in the guilty position. We've been in the accusing position. But here's the thing. As we look at the life of Jesus, you see, why would Jesus, why would he engage in this conversation? Why would he risk associating himself with that woman? You know, should compassion trump the law of Moses? The law of Moses was king. Should compassion trump it? You know, have you ever been in this situation? You know, you're trying to figure out what to do. Do I offer grace? Do I offer forgiveness? Do I offer mercy? Or do I stand up to try to make a point? You see, Jesus, it seemed as if he had nothing to gain and everything to lose by associating himself with scandal. Even today, politicians, athletes, you know, people of influence, if there's scandal, they try to push it away a little bit, even if they're involved in it. Try to push it under the rug because they don't want to associate themselves with scandal. They don't want to walk right into the controversy and invite the mess into their lives. Jesus himself He was becoming an incredible moral leader. People were following him. Again, everything to lose, nothing to gain. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't come only to make a point. He did that, certainly. He made lots of points. But not only to make a point. Jesus came to make a difference. In your life, in her life, and in my life. Jesus didn't come only to make a point. Jesus came to make a difference. Look at the rest of this story then. Look at the second half of verse 6. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Jesus bent down, starts writing on the ground with his finger. What's he writing? What's he saying? You know, what's he doing in this moment? You know, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. If we kind of make some 
make some things up about it. Who knows? I mean, was he just kind of making marks? Was he doodling, trying to distract them? We don't know. Uh, Some scholars would say that he's even writing out the list of sins of those who are accusing her, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Jesus, of course, being God, being a living legend, can write out all their sins. He knows their hearts. He knows their lives. Maybe he's doing that. This is the only time recorded in Scripture that we see Jesus writing anything down. So he's sitting there, he's writing, he's writing, he's writing. They're questioning him, they're badgering him. Look at what happens next in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So Jesus changes it. He switches the focus. You know, generally, back then, in that culture, the witnesses would be the first ones to cast a stone. A big stone. In fact, according to the stoning rituals and practices of the New Testament, and even going back into the Old Testament, it would be the one who made the accusation, the witness, who would bring that person in, and who would have the privilege and the opportunity of casting the first stone. Now, here's the thing about stoning. Oftentimes, you know, the person was taken out to the city gate, to the town gate, and they were oftentimes thrown into a pit. Imagine a pit probably six to eight, maybe even ten feet deep. A 15 to 20 pound stone would be picked up. And that person, that witness, that accuser would be the first one to drop the stone onto that person who was probably bent over, trying to protect their head, trying to protect their neck. Why would they drop a heavy stone first? Because the goal was to try to crush the internal organs, even already begin to paralyze the person. And then it was after that, okay? Not done yet. After the person was first struck, it'd be everyone else who was there who'd be given probably a hand-sized stone like this, and they would throw, and they would throw, and they would throw, and they would keep doing it. But it all came after the first one. The witness did what they did. But you see what Jesus said? If any of you is without sin, any of you, not just the one who witnessed it, not just the one who's bringing this person in, all y'all, Okay? If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. These are some of the most cut to the heart, convicting words in all of Scripture. And yet the story's not done quite yet. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away. One at a time. One at a time. One at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Where are they? Where'd they go? I, I thought... I thought if anyone was without sin, they were going to throw the first stone. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Because that's what they were trying to do. They They were more than trying to convict her. They were trying to condemn her to death. Trying to make a point of this woman. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
then neither do I condemn, condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus came not only to make a point here and here. Because you see, Jesus switches the focus. Not just to that woman sin- from that woman's sinfulness, but to everyone who's there, including us. Jesus came to make a difference. And a difference he made. You see, the difference between Jesus and everyone else, between every other legend who has ever lived, the difference, what makes God God and me not, Jesus convicts, but he doesn't condemn Jesus saw this woman for who she was. She was a person. She was more than an adulteress. She was more than a sinner. She was more than the one who was caught. Had she been involved in sin? Yes. Okay? We cannot deny this reality. She had been involved in a horrible sin. Apparently she had been caught. But, but, should that sin, should that marker, should that moment be the defining mark and moment of her life? Absolutely not. You see, when it comes to Jesus, and then when it comes to the heart of God, you might say, well, why would Jesus do that? Why does Jesus convict but not condemn? You know, this gets to the heart of who God is. John chapter 3, verse 17. Some of us are familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, da 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 da, da okay? But it's the verse after. That, that is really, really significant. For God did not send his son into the world To condemn the world. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's plan in sending Jesus. But to save the world through him. But to save the world through him. What is God's purpose? To bust your chops. To cut you off at the knees. To allow other people to throw stones at you. How about this? To offer healing to you. To offer hope when you're that person. To convict you, yes. To invite you to turn away from it, yes, because he knows that it's better for you not to be engaged in that. But to offer hope and healing for you. You see, Jesus always convicts, but he doesn't condemn. This is the power of the cross for us. All hail the power of Jesus' name, we sang a little earlier. All hail the power of Jesus' name. You know, I have a hope. Why do I have a hope? Because I'm not condemned. By the one who could throw the stone. He's without sin. But he doesn't do it. Now look at verse 10 and 11 again. Look at 10 and 11 again. So you got this interaction with Jesus and the woman. Jesus asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You know, is is no one here without sin? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, if Jesus came to make a difference, here's another difference. Jesus offers compassion, not condemnation. What's compassion? Compassion is to suffer with, to stand with another person. Now it's easy. It's easy to show compassion to people who can benefit us in return, who can give us something for what we've given to them. But, you know, let's just talk about Boston for a minute. Let's talk about that horrible explosion that happened. You know, if you think about that, If you think about that experience, and you've probably, like me, read some of the accounts, you've seen the pictures, I mean, it's just incredible. So a bomb goes off, and you've got people who are ready to accomplish one of the greatest accomplishments in their life, probably, to run in the Boston Marathon. You know, people have said to me, "Uh, Ryan, we know you're a runner. Have you ever thought about running Boston? (laughs) 
Have I ever thought about running Boston? Dude, you need to be fast to run Boston, okay? There is no way that I would qualify for a race like that. I, I enjoy running, but those are runners, okay? Those are runners, and so they're training for this, and they cross the finish line. They've done 26.2 miles, and what happens after that bomb explosion? They keep running to the nearest hospital to give blood. There's people in Boston who, you know, are establishing Google documents, and they're listing. I mean, you can see this on the internet. They're listing places that are available for others to stay in. You see, our world, our people, in that moment, are demonstrating compassion. They're suffering with, they're standing with those who are afflicted. Now, again, it's easy to do that oftentimes, with people that can give us something in return. But in Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates compassion for all people. What did this woman have to give him? What could she benefit in his life? I mean, truly, what could she offer back to him? But again, Jesus didn't come to make a difference. Jesus came to make a or Jesus didn't come, sorry, I said that wrong. Jesus didn't come to make a point. Jesus came to make a, I gave you the answer, a difference. He came to make a difference, and a difference he made in that woman's life. So another difference, when you think about compassion, let's get personal. I believe that an encounter with compassion can change you forever. Imagine how it changed this woman's life. You know, we, we don't know what happened to her after. All that we know is, you know, Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin. Just imagine the freedom that God gave her on that day. But that freedom came at a price. You know, it looks like the woman kind of just got off free. Like nothing really happened to her. You know, and on she went. Go now and leave your life of sin. But here's the thing. Payment was required for the sin that she had committed. The amazing thing is that it was the one who forgave her. Who convicted her but didn't condemn her. Who took the rock. The first rock. The first stone who took the accusations, who took the beatings, who took the slander, and ultimately, who took it to the cross. This is why, when we have the privilege of receiving compassion, and we do, every day, by God's grace and by His power, we are receiving acceptance from God. But God also invites us to turn from sin. To go now. To leave our life of sin. Why? Because God's not capable of forgiving that? Of course not. He's God. He can do that. But because God knows that your life is better when it's submitted to him and when you're living for him than when you're living just randomly, unpurposefully, just kind of doing your thing. So as we wrap this up, my key question for you, are you willing to walk in when everyone else walks out, are you willing to go there? To walk into the mess? To walk into the controversy? To walk into the explosion? Are you willing to walk into that sin? And all the slander and all the junk that comes with it? When everyone else wants to bail? To make a difference in that person's life? The wonderful thing about compassion is that so often compassion is very personal. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You get the opportunity to display your heart, share your heart, demonstrate acceptance to another person. And when you demonstrate acceptance to another person through an incredible reach, a hand, a hug, 
you know, a resource, whatever it is, you also get to invite them to receive acceptance from God himself, lest they would ever question or wonder their own standing before God. You have the opportunity to invite them to receive God's grace. Guilty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sinner? Yes. Convicted? Absolutely. But condemned? No way. We can't be. Not if my living legend, the one who said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Jesus took the stone for me. And he took the stone for you. And so you can be absolutely certain. When you walk into the situation, when you walk into the mess, when you walk into the controversy, that the God who took a stone is going to walk you all the way through it. And he will give you words, he will give you wisdom. This is what it means to be someone to another person. As we talk about here at St. John 1, 1, 15, 6. Be someone to another person for whom Christ died. When you're someone, you drop the stone. You demonstrate acceptance. You help lead someone. And you remind them of God's power and God's grace in their life, even in the midst of their pain. You offer them hope and healing, and you invite them to turn from their ways to a better way of life. God can grant that to us. Let's stand and let's pray.